Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, it's that, that time of the year that is your favorite, isn't it? Yes, there's no question. I just love Christmas. You're a joyous holiday gift giver, end of year gift giver, New Year recognition <laughs> maker, and it. a maniac decorator for these things. Mm-hmm. I Yes. Yeah. I, I started a little early this year, too, because... I feel like we were so deprived last year and, um, you know, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of enthusiasm probably by much of anyone last year considering what was going on. So, I, uh, yeah, I've had some fun already. I didn't recognize that there was regulation of, of holiday decorations last year. Yeah, just people, you know, times are tough. It affects how you feel about it. I, I've, I've noticed all kinds of eruption of decorations in places. <laughs> Down south, they already have a lot of decorations up, but, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, which is surprising, it was pretty early. So you've been driving around the country to examine holiday preparations? That's, yeah, you know, in my free time, that's what I do, just driving around the country. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that well, was one of my favorite things about Christmas Eve was we would, we would go look at Christmas decorations after dinner. My dad would drive us around. I always loved that. Well, that's our, our our city is one of the world capitals of outrageous holiday decorations, and I'm excited to uh, to see what sort of madness there is this year, especially mm -hmm. on Thirty Fourth Street and other yeah, that's always fun. Uh, other locales. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I I got on a giant tangent having to do with your fascination with decorations. <laughs> Let's talk about gifts. You know, the Foreman Wolf gift guide for the holiday season. For food and wine nerds, something like that. It's quite the title. All right, let's do it's, it. It's it's kind of long <laughs> and, and probably ill-titled, but so what? What do you want? Let's start with that. You're the oh. youngest child. That's what you're always concerned with first. What do you? <laughs> no, want? actually, I was thinking about what people should get other people, but of course. Uh, uh, but I'm sure that if you tell people what you want, you'll eventually get it. <laughs> <laughs> you think so? Okay, well then I'd like. Uh, uh, no. Um, you know, I don't, my, my kitchen is really well stocked now and I have, I have a nice amount of copper pans. Um, I do not have a large copper pot and I would like that very much to make a bigger batch of soup or to run a stock. Um, yeah, all my, all my copper things are, are pretty small except for you actually gave me a copper roasting pan one year, um, which it was a great gift. Um, and I've used that a lot, but you know, I really need, that's what I need, a big copper pot, stainless steel lined is, you know, what I would suggest uh, for anybody to get. The tin lining is what used to be very traditional. And, you know, a tin lining does eventually wear out. And the reason that copper needs to be uh, lined, why you can't cook directly in copper is because it does create a somewhat poisonous reaction with food products. <laughs> so we don't really look for that. <laughs> <laughs> while we're cooking. So yeah, so tin was 
very common and um it's you, there are some people out there that will retin your pants for you um they are they are hard to find so and there are not a lot of them anymore it's sort of old-fashioned and i just i like stainless steel as we all know i talk about it all the time so i like a stainless steel lined um, copper pan it's going to last forever if you take good care of it and i think that's another thing we should talk about with copper you know you can make your own mixture of uh lemon juice um all-purpose flour and um uh and salt kosher salt a a a, a uh a porous salt, a heart, you know, something with some texture and uh, make your own cleaner, which is what we do at the restaurant. Um, we used to buy a, a product um, that clean chemical was a chemical. And I will tell you that that product disappeared at some point. And then every other product that came along was so highly toxic. Um, I, there's no way I was going to let my dishwashers work with something like that. Just couldn't believe the way it smelled. So we, that's when we started making our own, which is obviously a lot cheaper and um, easy to do. So you can just look up online, you know, get the quantities online for uh, that if you want to go that direction. Um, uh, Matt Fur also makes a good uh, a good product to clean your copper, and um, it doesn't smell that bad at all, and it certainly seems pretty safe. So Matt Fur M A T F E R. Matt Fur makes an awful lot of really nice uh, pans, uh, pans sure and pans and pots and. They sure do. Yeah. Well, and so. you can buy different qualities of copper and you can buy different handles on your copper. And I really prefer a cast iron handle. That A lot of the things that you'll find in a retail store will have a, a brass handle. And there's certainly not anything wrong with that, but I, I wouldn't buy, that's not what you should get. You, if you're going to bite the bullet and buy something that's so expensive, you should get the one with the cast iron handle. It's just more durable. The old designation on those pans was the one—the ones with the brass handles—were for finishing food in the dining room. Exactly right. You know that's that's funny. It's how the first kitchens I worked in—that's how they were separated. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, it's that's perfectly true, and and those pans are—you know—that you want them to look good if they're going to be in the dining room. A, a cast iron handle is not exactly beautiful, and with a cast iron, it will rust. So when you know, and of course, we use ours all the time, and you know. You wouldn't. You probably use your pan as hard, obviously, anywhere near as hard as we use ours. But and ours are from the opening of the restaurant, so they are 24 years old. Um, we have to use a green pad to just sort of gently remove the rust from the handle, um, and also you want to dry the handle very, very well so that it doesn't rust uh, once you clean it and store it and store it in a place where it's going to be get a lot of air. You know, it's uh, copper's so beautiful. You might as well hang it somewhere. I have mine hanging. Um, I actually have in my kitchen at my house. I have a. It was a doorway with a door on it down to the basement, and um, I couldn't. I just the kitchen's so small. I couldn't stand the idea of having those doors on the, on that area. So uh, when I designed it, I told them not to put the doors back on, and um, so we created a, a door frame and, an, and a pretty opening. And on the left, on the way down the stairs, I have copper pieces that attach to the wall that I hang the pots on. And it's nice, you know, they're right there, right next to my kitchen and, and very handy and yet out of the way. And, um, and it's a nice display. Yeah. Your pan to, to burner ratio is high. <laughs> I would say. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, how about if people wanted to give someone a knife, is there a hidden message in that? Yeah, I no. <laughs> I've given several people a good knife, just a solid, right? Uh, like shown knife or something like that over mm -hmm. the years, just because having gone into their home, 
and see what they're attempting to cut things with, I was concerned for their safety. Yeah. So you, you, I, I, w- I wanted to talk about that. There are really two, uh, two ways you can go. So Shun is, is an excellent knife and the, the, uh, main series that they have with the, the black handle and the, um, it, I, I can't re- recall what it, what exactly how they refer to it, but it's, it's, um, it is the traditional line of shun those knives are very delicate the blades are very thin and very fine and and therefore they cut beautifully um they need to be kept sharp obviously like any knife uh they are not too hard to sharpen once you learn how to do it Um, but the thing with those knives they can absolutely not hit any kind of metal or anything hard Um, they will chip the blade will literally chip i i have seen cooks come in from another restaurant, uh, another kitchen somewhere else that they've worked and walk in with a knife that's got, you know, six chips on it on the blade. I'm like, you're not using that in this kitchen. Forget it. You know, you might as well throw that thing away. Um, And uh, those are at at first, you can have little tiny chips if you accidentally hit it on like when you're washing it, let's say you accidentally hit it on the stainless steel sink, it will probably chip that blade. Um, And then you'll have little tiny ones, but you can actually get a pretty good gouge on there if you really abuse it. So if you're not going to be, you know, really careful with a knife, don't buy that shun blade. Um, you should get like a Hinkle uh, or Wustoff. Uh, those are, those are, you know, stronger blades, heavy duty blades. They're German knives. They sharpen uh, pretty easily. Um, once you learn how to use the stone, um, you can hone them pretty easily, honing the uh, the, the, the honing device is really only meant to take little burrs off the blade. Um, it's a little bit like if you have a boat and you, you've seen the propeller and sometimes you'll have some big gouges on a propeller on a boat. If you've, if you've hit a stump or, or something in the water, you know, you're going to have to do some serious work to that propeller. Um, but if it's just little tiny pieces, uh, it's not, it's, it's a very different situation. So, um, you can hone that knife, um, and, and you should hone it after you sharpen it because it just puts the finest edge on the blade. It cleans up the edge of the blade. That's what that's for. It's not going to sharpen your knife. If your knife is dull, a steel is not going to sharpen it. It's just going to clean up that edge and make it Some finer. of those big, uh, kind of big, crazy chef knives that I've liked over the years mm-hmm. that I've had, that I, I, I got a Delaram, and I know sometimes you bought some of Delaram, which is a little right. store in Paris, and it's kind of a fun website to look at. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, do you know, is it Delarin.com? I think it is. D-E-H-E-L-L. I can't. D-R-I-N. Yeah, it's, it's in Paris and um, they have, their knives are sturdy, everyday knives. They are not yeah, something so, fancy. So, no, Sabatier makes them for them, but they're not branded mm-hmm. and they're definitely not fancy, but you can, if you work with a stone, you can get a wicked edge on those guys. Mm-hmm. And if you've got to cut through uh, bones on a bird or a, you know a, a piece of meat or something, right? That's that, a good knife for that, that. That's yeah. That's I keep the one that the guys always call the machete for doing exactly <laughs> that. <laughs> it was a forty-two centimeter knife. I mean, it's yeah, it's a, a big, big knife. knife. Yeah, it's a big knife. Yeah, also known as a small sword. <laughs> right. Well, and shun. If you buy shun knives, they actually make shun stones. Um, I think they're called Kai, actually. Um, and um, they those stones are correct for sharpening that knife. Um, and you can get different 
grades. Uh, the one that I have um, has 300 and 1,000 on it. And um, that's nice because you can, you know, get a, a good edge back on the knife and then you can fine tune it. Um, and, and that's what you want from your stone. You want two sides. And also uh, with those stones, you can soak them in water. So I'll just get out a we use, we call a third pan, a, a metal pan that we uh, put the stone in and I cover it with water and you leave it in there for about 30 minutes. And then you can use that same water to keep the stone wet while you are s uh, sharpening your knife. Um, you can also get honing oil. And um, if you want to go the route of oil, but honestly it becomes, it can get kind of gummed up after a while if you use it a lot. And I, I just prefer a water stone. Um, I think it's just a whole lot easier to deal with. And you do want to keep that stone clean as well. And you certainly want to keep that dry, very dry. So once, uh, when I'm done with my stone, uh, I uh, clean it, dry it uh, with a towel and then let it sit out for another, you know, probably eight hours. I'll, I'll, if I usually end up sharpening my knives, you know, first, first thing in the day. And then by the time I go home that night, I can put it away. Um, and again, don't wrap it in plastic wrap or anything like that. Just try and let it be free to get some air around it. Yeah, just free moisture. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's, it's still porous stone. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of knives out there. And, and, you know, if you're a really serious home cook, it may be worth it to you to have a knife made for you. I mean, to me, that that really is an ultimate gift for a chef. If you know a chef and you really want to do something really, really great for them, um, having a knife made for them. Um, but you know, that's also sort of a personal thing too. You might want to ask that person, you know, what would you want if I had a knife made for you? Because knives are very personal to good cooks, excellent cooks. And, um, you know, blood root blades is where I have mine made, uh, down in Georgia and they, you know, use all reclaimed metals, all reclaimed product to make the handles. Um, and, uh, you know, it, one, I love that. I love that they're you know, utilizing things that are already there. And uh, like one, a couple of my knives were made from saw blades. Um, and I now have, I think, five knives from them that I've collected over the years. And uh, those are the only knives I use now. I've basically given away almost every other knife that I own to my cooks, um, which I do pretty frequently, actually. Yeah, you're a gifter of knives. It's funny. I'm a little bit like you. I think it's a personal, when it comes, when it's a, if it's a chef, Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of a big deal, personal gift, and it's a little bit like having someone pick underwear for you. It's like mm, you yeah. may not know exactly what. Well, they could always, you know, if you want to do that, just ask that person to tell you what they want, and then you know, get it for them, or maybe they but can design so, it. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, but sources. So that's Bloodroot Blades, right? They're down in Georgia, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for other things like shun knives or Henkels or Sabatier. What do you think are the best places I, to find those? I think that I think I order from a company called Knife Merchant. Um, I, she was in California. I think she might have moved to Texas. Doesn't matter. It's online, and uh, Knife Merchant. You know, I don't. You know, obviously, you're not going to get wholesale pricing like I do. But I believe that you know her product is is always right, and she's quick. And uh, and well, right now, I don't know if anybody's quick with shipping. But um, and gosh, if you need something shipped, I'd order it tomorrow tonight because you know shipping is going to be just absolutely a nightmare um for the uh, until the end of the holidays so um but yeah so knife merchant is where i now buy my knives um jb prince you can um buy through them i i don't i think regular people can buy through them i don't think you have to have a corporate account i think pretty sure you can go online and buy from jb prince which is in new york or new jersey when we come back in a few moments let's talk about 
uh, JB prints and some other sources for fun kitchen tools. Yeah. You know, some of the clever like outer space science tongs that people like <laughs> to use to plate food and things mm -hmm. like that. On Former Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Formidable Farm Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking holiday gifts. And we've yes. spent a few minutes on knives and copper pans. What about other pans that, frankly, civilians always need mm -hmm. and maybe struggle taking care of? Like, civilians. I, I get, oh, seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like, te like Teflon pans, you know? Because mm -hmm. you always kind of need one. You think of that as an omelet pan or... It's, it's not an all-purpose thing. That's what people often wind up using them for and then destroy yeah. them very quickly or scrub them. Oh, yeah. No. All right. So you know, you, a Teflon pan, you should be able to just use soap and water and a soft towel to clean. Um, they are Teflon after all. It should just wipe off what's in there. Um, never and, you, use, and you don't want to like cook something hard in those. No. Well, like to you caramelize say, I mean, to the point where there's all kinds of stuff sticking to it. You should be That's using not it, what it's for. Right. You should be using a stainless steel or a steel pan for something that you want a good sear on. And I mean, I, I remember when we opened Savannah that I used Teflon pans back then I was, it was, they were kind of, I don't know if they were new, but it was kind of a new idea back then. And I became disgusted with them when I noticed that they were starting to lose some of their coating. And of course we were cleaning them correctly. So I never used them after that, but I used to use them to sear my crab cakes. Um, so I was just about to say, you shouldn't really do anything other than eggs and, you know, especially, a, you know, an omelet so nice to do in a Teflon pan or just delicate but, things. Yeah. But I did used to sear crab cakes in there and, but I wouldn't put it in the oven. I would d transfer it from the, Teflon pan to a sizzle pan, which is like a, an aluminum like pan that we use for a lot of things in the kitchen to go into ovens for individual cooking. Um, and uh, so, but anyway, with Teflon, yeah, you want a high quality pan. That's not, you know, it, I don't think they're that expensive in the end to buy a high quality Teflon. So get the best one you can um, like and then all, take all good clad. care of it. All clad produces a, a very Teflon nice, pan. right. And then also all clad produces different levels of all stainless steel uh, pans as well. And well, and they produce stainless steel pans with copper core, um, with aluminum core. So they have a whole gamut of different qualities of pans. I mean, they're all good, but um, the copper core, again, if you can afford it, that is my favorite. They're heavy duty pans. They weigh a nice amount. They feel good in your hand. They honestly, again, if you take care of them, they'll last forever. Um, that copper core helps with conductive the heat, um, conducting the heat properly, evenly, um, which uh, helps you to be a, very, a much better cook um, if that pan is heating evenly. And um, that's what copper is so good for. Um, and uh, it's a great conductor of heat. And with the with the copper core line, um, it has a literally a line around the pan that you can see the copper until of course 
you start using it and then it, unless you shine that it makes a, every makes time, a big it, difference with even heat really, and conductivity. It, it really does. Those pans are the best. And then I, I have talked about Heston pans before, um, the nano bond, which I just want to laugh every time I say that, but man, those pans are amazing. And, uh, so those are the two lines that I would really suggest. Um, and I would, you know, I think if, you know, even, well, oftentimes they'll have like, at the stores, they'll have like a set that you can buy. And really that is a, usually a very good deal. Um, you know, if you really need more than one piece, um, or, uh, what I have done in the past is I've bought sets and given them to people, you know, like one person gets this pan, another person gets this pan as a gift. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, that's a good way to go too. And that's another thing when you go to buy knives, you can oftentimes companies will have deals on sets of knives. And I do the same thing with that. If I'm going to buy five knives for cooks, I'll buy a set. And then, you know, somebody gets a paring knife, somebody gets a and slicing knife. Yeah. And dole them out. I mean, it, it's, it is a good way to buy multiples. Um, I mean, that's what I'm going to do for Christmas with my family. They all need knives. So I'll just yeah. buy a set and, you know, Continue yeah, it's to fun. and 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 if, if I like if I go to my dad's house, I just mm -hmm. go and sharpen knives. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's not surprising. Uh, another word about that's pans for civilians. I mean that only with great affection. <laughs> um, I think sometimes the most useful thing can be for a lot of what happens with home cooks because they're not trying to produce restaurant food. Mm -hmm. Ceramic lined iron pans. Yeah, they're great. Like like cruze mm -hmm. or uh or stobe. Right. One, they're cute. Never hurts. Oh, they're beautiful pans. And yeah. and two, they're they're the they're the heavy pans we're always talking about. Mm -hmm. And they make all different sort of shapes and sizes of the things. The single handled like deep skillet, you know, with like that's let's say it's three, four inches high on the side. You can do so many things with that. Mm-hmm. It's it's everything from searing a piece of meat to, you know, making a sauce or making pho or, you know, right. any number of things. That ends up being one of, one of the most useful things, I think. That's the one thing that ends up just in our house, ends up sitting on the stove all the time because mm -hmm. it's pretty likely to get used half the, you know, half the meals that are cooked. Well, and the nice thing about that for home is that it's also a beautiful service piece. You You know, if you've got a hot pad or... I forget what my mom trivets is that what they're called you know those like brass pieces or whatever that my my mother always had tons of them because she would do yeah. a lot a lot of uh we you know we had a big enough family that she would do a lot of you know smorgasbord kind of things on the hunt board and um those are pretty pieces uh, and the stove like someone gave me a stove pot one time and it has a chicken on top of it or a rooster on top of it I mean I love that pot I I will always cherish that pot um, so yeah, the, they, they not only, the, those pieces not only cook well, but you can use it right into service, which is nice for a family. Yeah. Well, I was going to say the, uh, the amount of time that is spent considering colors when shopping for those things is pretty humorous because <laughs> they make them in many, many colors. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun. All yeah. colors. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. nice for your kitchen. They're pretty. And they, they, if you have glass cabinets, you could, you know, you know, have something pretty in your glass cabinet in your kitchen. So yeah. Stope. Let's take a minute on uh, other goodies for the kitchen. The other Tools. things that, mm -hmm. again, cooking in people's houses, the things that they never seem to have, they never have a fish spatula. No, and that's a big deal. That's an awesome stocking stuffer kind of thing. Right. Well, they're not, a, yeah. Uh, Global makes an excellent fish spat, as we call it, and they're like not cheap. 
but you can find some that are less expensive. Certainly, you know, I don't know, probably under $20. I think the global is like 55 or something now. Um, but again, if you buy that global, it'll last forever, like ever, like you can hand it down. Well, that is the thing with good tools. I yeah. mean, you, I mean, it's just worth it. Forever. Yeah. If you can afford to do it, it's worth it. And if you can't, then get the less expensive one and take as good care of it as you can. But yeah, a fish spatula. I mean, I have like, okay, I have five different spatulas. I have a little one. I have spatulas that are long, narrow spatulas that aren't what you think of as a spatula that you can use for pastry, for icing a cake, or you can use it to flip something. Like I made pancakes the other morning. I didn't use my, my regular spatula, metal spatula. I used um, that one, which um, those are great uh, for all kinds of things. I have wide spatulas. Those those things and plastic spatulas also. So not just metal back, ones, but you need back, plastic back up, ones. Back up one second. Mm-hmm. So the, the the holiday gift idea that I just thought of was a gift certificate for Sandy Wolf coming to your house to make pancakes <laughs> with her exotic spatula collection. Oh, no. I think maybe no. we'll have to auction that off to charity for uh, <laughs> for something. It, All right. You know, in, in the spirit of the season, I think that would be a quality <laughs> gift. I think it would be just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a pancake-related charity, but I'm going to work on it. Okay. <laughs> Maybe a children's charity. That sounds good. The other uh, thing I'm always I'm always after are decent tongs. Oh yeah. I oh. mean th- those tongs that are the the like they look like little triangles on the ends. Yeah. Somebody with, you know, with that, coating on them or something that yeah, my mother were perfect has those. in nineteen seventy two for yeah, my, my dad does too. Yeah, I think my mom's had her since nineteen seventy two. Yes. Yeah, they're they're yeah. perfect for pulling a hot dog from nineteen seventy two off the grill. Right. <laughs> yeah, we're so, not being snobby here. Um, no, it's, it's just no. practicality. Those things are awful. Okay, they they're awful. Food. They don't they don't handle food well. No, and that's, there's, that's there's a, a big hole there. What, who thought of that? I mean, so let's move on to positivity. Edland E D L U N D makes really great <laughs> regular tongs, which is what we have used in the restaurant since the beginning of time, and um, they're sta- all stainless steel. You can get you know, eight inch, 10 inch, 12 inch, 14 inch, you know, you don't want to get anywhere near the food, get a 14 inch tong. They're actually pretty awkward, but um, yeah, six inch, eight inch tongs. I mean, one time <laughs> we, we ordered tongs and we got two inch tongs. And I mean, Everard and I just sat there and laughed at, at these tongs. And then one day, I mean, they're so small, it's ridiculous. And then one day I saw him actually using one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe that's too much, but I mean, it's just like, yeah, so you can get them in any size and you want them to be heavy duty because if you buy, again, if you buy the inexpensive ones, I could bend those with my, my little finger. So um, you do want the heavy duty tongs and um, yeah. But and I mentioned JB Prince, or you'd mentioned JB Prince, and we both did in mm-hmm. the previous segment. They, they have huge collections of these, uh, you think of them, I guess, originally as Asian tongs. Mm-hmm. But like pincher tongs, longer, yeah. thinner ones mm-hmm. uh, that are they are great. You want to look like a an all star with your pasta. Yeah, it's very very easy to use a big spoon long, and those long tongs. Yeah, the long straight and, ones are and perfect. Twirl it. Yeah, twirling, th- those, twirling are, pasta. those are great. Oh my gosh, and you'll just love it. You'll love having those. You can do a lot of things with those. You mentioned your crab cakes earlier. I could sit across the table with those long tongs. And when you're distracted, I can reach and pick the biggest lumps out of your crab cake from across the table with those tongs. They're great. All right, well, that's an idea. The the smaller tongs, the finer tongs, um, you can buy offset or straight. And the offset, oh my gosh, I have like four pairs of those. Those are great for finishing product. So if you're 
it's really for garnishing. Um, you want to put microgreens on top of something. You want to move, you know, lettuce up to the top and get that perfect piece of lettuce on top. Uh, you know, it's those things are great. There's like a million things you can do with them, and um, they're not that ex they're not expensive at all. They're pretty inexpensive. So, and you can get those in all kinds of colors. You can get them in you know rainbow colors or blue or whatever. So it's fun to have um, a couple of different ones of those too. That's a good stocking stuffer. Um, and you know, if you have kids that are starting to cook. It's nice to have, you know, wonderful little tools like that, that they can learn, come up with, you know, they can learn how to use them from the beginning, which is, is great. The other thing that, again, in people's kitchens, good bowls, like oh, stainless steel, too, Tony. stainless Absolutely. steel bowls, multiple mm -hmm. sizes mm -hmm. that are super cleanable, that no problem going in the dish machine, uh, that are not going to develop a crack or something. Right. You know, that, that it is not your mom's macaroni salad bowl. Right. Stainless steel bowls in all sizes. Amazing. And the... And can, and can be in a really big, fancy-looking box for your holiday gift. There you go. Uh, yeah, a nest of metal bowls. Just the greatest thing in the world. And also, you need to have good spoons as well. Um, there are lots of spoons out there. Great Kunz's spoons are the ones that are really uh, prized in the kitchens. They're just the perfect size. They come in a couple of different sizes. They come in two sizes, small and large, and they also come in a perforated, which is really nice for certain things too. I have like one perforated. I collect those. I love those spoons. I've got a copper one. I've got a, you know, all kinds of them. So those, um, but also you need other kinds of spoons too, um, small spoons for things. But to have those, the other tool that's really nice to have are circle cutters, a set of circle cutters. I mean, it just jazzes up your game. You know, you can you know, make toast points out of brioche and have a perfect circle or go all the way to the extreme of, you know, if you actually buy a truffle, you could actually cut out the truffle into a perfect circle. And I mean, they're just beautiful like that. And you can use the trimmings for a sauce or uh, for risotto or whatever. So, you know, it, you know, I'm always, the, I'm always the utilizer. You're telling me about cutting out brioche mm -hmm. and truffle. What if you made like a, a savory bread pudding? Sorry, big tangent. Savory bread pudding with some of the truffle scrap in there mm -hmm. with all of the ends of the brioche. Oh, that would be really good. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, especially with a piece of seared foie gras on top of it. Exactly right. So you do your yes. hors d'oeuvres do your hors d'oeuvre on the little toast. <laughs> oh yeah, that sounds you know? good. <laughs> yeah. See, and I know you're gonna just steal that. Yeah, That's no, fine. I'm gonna do that. <laughs> Yeah, I know you are. <laughs> I actually have tr I have truffles coming in today, which I'm extremely excited. Black winter oh, truffles. Woo! I cannot wait. That's great. Yeah, it's All right. December. So no, sorry, we should stay on topic. So we've got two things we've got to get to. We've got to get to uh, holiday book ideas. Yes. Cookbooks. Right, and 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 I would throw in with that instruction, uh, along with I've got to remember about the pancake charity, and we've got to get to a holiday wine. Right. Okay. Yep. So that's and not not just what to drink, but what to give. Yes. And 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 yeah. Situationally, kind of what what to give, what's appropriate, what's nice. Yes, let's do it. So we will when we come back on Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR.
Welcome back to Foreman the Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And it's all holiday gifts all the time. <laughs> and hopefully you can actually get them and hopefully you can actually ship them right. to everybody you want to. Mm-hmm. So cookbooks, right? Yeah. So cookbooks was our next uh, cookbooks and books in general because there, there, there are some wine books out there that. Sure. What, 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 what wine books do you like? What do you think is, especially like for maybe people that are just beginning to collect wine? You, but it's not even collecting, just enjoying. Like to actually begin to understand what's on the label, uh, which will help you. Mm-hmm. Um, that the you know very well. The one I always recommend the most as a reference that you just need to have is the World Atlas of Wine. Yeah. And that was originally a Hugh Johnson publication in 1969, and I think I still have one of the original guys. That's cool. And then it's become a collaboration between him and Jancis Robinson for a while. And and there's a, an update every couple of years, mm-hmm. but that's that's great because it tells you everything. It's kind of from soup to nuts, you know. It's wine making process, how to keep wine, how to serve wine, the kinds of glasses. Now that that shows you maps, gives you an idea of some labels and things to look for, and it breaks it down in the most important way, which is by region. Yeah, grapes are grapes, but grapes reflect the place for the most part, and they adapt to a place. You can't just plant any grape in any place. Sure. Yeah, I love I love that. I mean, my dad had one when I was a kid um, because he enjoyed wine and was trying to learn about wine. And I I, I have that copy, which that's probably from the 70s, certainly not from 1969. But yeah, that, those books are great. And the last time I bought one, they had um, updated it and it's really it was really beautiful. They had the letters on the front were cut out. Do you remember that one? Did you ever see that one? That's really cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's great. Anything else that you think people should? If someone is actually a, a, a real collector or someone who has a real interest in what's happened importantly in wine, that we have a local figure, Robert Parker, who is the most influential person in, in wine period, who is a fantastic critic and taster and, mm-hmm. and lovely guy. And Bob's books... Uh, as for me, especially his Bordeaux book, um, that there have been a couple of versions of over the years as they've updated, and his and his Rhone Valley book, which I think there's only been a couple. Um, those are really really important for me. I think they're they're organized in a really intelligent way. And the thing about uh, about Bob's writing to me is it gives you a really good idea of how to think about how to approach. Uh, tasting, learning about wine, evaluating wine, and remembering it's supposed to be delicious. That's why you drink it. Mm-hmm. You know, it may have other characteristics, other properties, but that, that I think that attitude serves someone who actually cares about wine, not just for the intellectual value, but for like the, the real gustatorial pleasure as well. It's all very balanced. So his, his approach on, and there are a number of books that he put out, and that number with beautiful photographs and, and so on. Mm-hmm. But those just references, if you can find, especially if you can find old copies of them, are pretty amazing. And really kind of, you can see how like the future is predicted in a lot of things <laughs> as to what's That's happening in, in those different parts of the world. Thank you. That's great. So one of my uh, favorite cookbooks that came out a few years ago is Danielle Bouillou's, uh, it's called Danielle, My French Cuisine. 
And I love the approach that he took towards this book because he has his food, his current food at the time when it was written uh, for Danielle. And he also has a section called Iconic Sessions where he talks about, you know, the the, the duck uh, press uh, from La Tour d'Argent that, that, you know, well, which didn't start there. It started by a chef uh, in another region of France, but um, it has all the, you know, the, the chicken and the pig's bladder, all those iconic dishes. And um, I was just looking through it just to remind myself. And, you know, he tells a story, talks about the origin, where it came from, why it was done, and, and then explains how to make the dish. And a lot of these dishes are very, very, very technical. And he's so honest. I love, you know, he's talking about when they were doing the uh, the, the pig in the, uh, the, uh, chicken, excuse me, in the pig's bladder, how the first three they, they put into the bladders, um, they tore the bladders doing it. And, you know, I just love that kind of honesty, you know, look, it's, it's not, you know, even, uh, 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 one of the greatest chefs that's ever lived will make a mis- you know, have an issue when they're doing something for the first time. Of course. Um, yeah. And, and that's so human and so wonderful. I, I, I love him. I think he's an incredible man and, uh, obviously an amazing chef and, uh, terrific business owner treats his staff so well and everything. So I really respect him. So that's a great book. Um, uh, one of my other favorites is, is, is not someone that was a restaurant chef, but it is a person that had a cooking school and that's Ann Willen. And so because she had a cooking school, her books are so instructive and you can get any of her books there, uh, you know, the Chateau, uh, books that she did. Um, she has a Chateau in Burgundy. And when she, bought Chateau uh, de Fay, uh, she pretty quickly wrote a book about that experience because they had to um, renovate the Chateau. And it's an incredible book, um, but all of her cookbooks are awesome. And um, I think, you know, people can really learn a lot and, and, and can feel confident trying one of the recipes. Not all chefs' books, the recipes are all, not all right on. Um, and I'm not really no. sure why that is, but, um, you know, for me, I've always wanted to write a cookbook. And, and one of the things that I find daunting is having to measure everything for the cookbook and making sure, because I'm not going to do a cookbook and not have those recipes be absolutely right on. And that for that person to be as successful as they can possibly be trying to make something that I've suggested. And that's just daunting to me to have to go through that whole process. But um, so I think her cooks books are great. Uh, one of my favorite sort of fancy books is, uh, um, uh, Michel Roth's book when he was the chef at the Ritz in Paris, it's called, uh, Haute Cuisine. Um, so H A U T E cuisine, uh, the Ritz Paris, uh, by Michael Roth. And it's a beautiful book. It's one of the most beautiful restaurants in Paris and one of the prettiest hotels in the world. And I ate there several times when he was the chef and it really was my favorite time that I had, you know, that, that, his cooking was my favorite time there when I went there. And um, the really has some elegant, elegant uh, items in the book. It gives you amazing ideas. Um, and I've never obviously tried one of the recipes. Um, I, I look at books like that for, for ideas, um, not to follow a recipe and or to trigger something in me. You know, I, I, I often need inspiration to, you know, move forward. And um, that's musicians that listen does. to music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I eat in those restaurants as well as look at their books. So that the things it's funny immediately for gifts. Mm -hmm. I think of the culinaria series. Oh yeah. I think that besides being really good references Mm -hmm. and they're kind of like sneaky, good teachers of what cuisine is of some country. um, But it, it always ends up being broken down regionally. 
which is, I mean, the world's cooking kind of develops tribe by tribe, right? Um, and, and the more and more it spreads geographically, the more interesting they become. But if you have a, someone who is fascinated with the, they took a trip to Spain and they're really fascinated with the cooking there, culinary of Spain, great. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's they're also available in lots of languages, which is really cool. Yes. If someone's primary language is not English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's been helpful for. And you can get them in paperback now. I, yep. I think as well. Yeah, you, you know, can. The old hard hardcover big books are really beautiful, um, but you know it's obviously you don't have to. Yeah, no. You, you don't. You don't have to. The um, and you know, for me, the things that I actually collect are strange little, like old books from like the Sutirol or something, mm-hmm. um, with with you know drawings and. And recipes in, in German or in Italian or whatever it might be. The book that opened up Italy to me for sure, and I, I've, one of the most inspiring food books I think that you can get, and and written well for consumers I think is Bugiali. Mm-hmm. You know that his classic Giuliano Bugiali. That yeah. that that's uh, B U G I A L L I, right? Yes, that that's and and I, you you've had that's probably the first Italian book that you had. That's right as well, and, and it's great. His books are because great. it's it's the it's the opposite of getting the, <laughs> you know the the approach is so very very different. Like I said, I mean all cooking is tribal, so mm-hmm. you know, and Italy is divided geographically so extremely, right by by natural barriers that that the cuisine is much more diverse than you think it's going to be. France travel is much easier, so it's it's a bit more homogeneous. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the most surprising things about eating in Italy, is how different the cooking is from the northern part of the country down to the southern. Yeah, it speaks at least eight languages every day. It's amazing. That's so cool. And and the same um, dish from one town to the next town, totally different. Sure, that's so. And that's deeply so contested. Way it is. <laughs> that's awesome. Love it. You know, I talk a lot about Persian cooking, and um, now that is a book, that is a recipe I might actually follow to contradict what I said earlier, because I don't know about Persian cooking, uh, yeah, and so therefore, because it's so unusual, um, I might follow a recipe from, but one of my favorite books is from a Persian kitchen. Um, I don't know how to say the name. I don't want to say it incorrectly. It's Dana. It's H-A-E-R-I. Uh, so that is the last name of the lady that wrote this book, and um, it's fantastic. Um, but there are a lot of really good Persian cookbooks out there. And the other book that I recently got um, and just came out, Gabriel Kruther, um, he's an Alsatian fellow, and um, I, I'm just I'm I'm totally enamored with his book. And it's not necessarily the food that he's doing now, but it is the beginning of the cookbook where he talks about his upbringing. Well, first of all, his story is amazing and uh, interesting to read. Uh, he's just a few years younger than me. And I, I just find his story, his personal story and how he became a chef very interesting. And also um, the beginning of the book um, is all Alsatian old, you know, world recipes. And I just, that history is so fascinating to me with, you know, where that, where all sauce is and all the German and, I guess Swiss and all the influences well, it's, it's, on that. It's cooking. a it's a crossroad, you know. That's the, the the where those different cultures collide, or where a lot of the most interesting food happens. You know, mm-hmm. Piemonte is that way, Alsace is that way. Um, Kruta, by the way, is K R E U T H E R. 
if anyone's looking it up. Yeah, it, it it's it's I just uh, yeah, it's a beautiful book, and it really is interesting. He worked for Jean Georges uh, for a, a while, uh, many years actually, and uh, yeah, his stories is interesting. I think you would really enjoy the book. And I mean, of course, my family background is a lot of German cooking, so I really identify with the food of this region. Um, so that may also be why I'm so enamored with it. So if I'm coming at a fancy party at your house for the holidays, this is this is not a hint. <laughs> this is direct. What what kind of wine gift should I bring? I want champagne. Of I course. know what you the want. obvious answer yeah. is champagne, um, and also I would love something from Burgundy because you know. <laughs> yeah. It's As time has gone along, like yeah. like many wine drinkers, you kind of like <laughs> you 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 start once you once you've tasted a little bit of something that's completely magical, and everything is not from Burgundy. But once you tasted a few things that are completely magical, it's like oh, mm -hmm. oh, okay, and 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 you want more magic, and it's something you you forever chase in Burgundy. It's a crazy thing. Mm -hmm. um, but champagne champagne is about as ubiquitous and perfect uh you know the old-fashioned hostess gift that, that you can possibly bring and that that means necessarily sparkling wine from that region there is other excellent sparkling wine uh, you were just talking about alsace uh, if you're not going to have a champagne budget that's just fine maybe look for cremon d'alsace which is their sparkling wine that mm -hmm. can be very very good um a good number of producers like Cremant de Jura, J-U-R-A, up in the mountains also can be very, very good. So I would say watch out for those guys on a value level. Often, the best-known brands in Champagne are not always the best purchases. Why are they best known? A lot of marketing budgets. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that's if, if the Champagne house is, is putting scarves out with their logo on it, chances are... Yeah, the, the the price that's there is making up for some of that. If it's something that's a small, there's so many high quality small grower champagnes right now, and you know one big. I'm going to throw two things out there as as, and there are lots and lots to to throw. I'm going to throw more than two things out there. <laughs> one you know very well by now is Gonet Medville, yes. G O N E T dash M E D E V I L L E. It's an excellent house. They're non-vintage wines. Um, they're traditional uh, brut. Uh, they're blanc de noir, meaning just made from red grapes. And uh, and their rosé are all superb for the price. And like, if you want to be a little over the top, the Romperier, a well-known house, for a lot of reasons I'm not going to get into, their tête cuvée, their top wine called Grand Siècle, which oh, literally means God. big century. So good. That wine is spectacular. Mm. And mm -mm. just the aroma alone will change someone's mind about the world. Right. At least for a few minutes. <laughs> so but good. I, I would look at those guys. The other thing I would do as far as, as, far as their wine gift, and budget-wise, you can go almost anywhere with it. 2018 Bordeaux, the vintage is so strong and universally strong from like little basic, you know, Cote de Franc or uh, Bordeaux Superior, mm -hmm. all the way through the classified growths. Um, that's for me. I'm I'm kind of shopping probably a little bit deeper in in the village of Margot than I ever normally would, 
there's so many estates of really, really excellent pedigree that had fallen down over time and had become much stronger again. So there's a certain level of value in discovering those. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosanon Segla comes to mind. Uh, Labigours uh, comes to mind. Excellent estates, especially in consideration of the price. And the wines are going to live 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. So, cool. Anyway, we can go on and on about gifts, but I think we're out of time, Cindy. That was fun. It was. If you want to listen to this episode of Formula Wolf on Food and Wine or any others, go to the WYPR website, wypr.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and there's a whole menu of goodies there. If you want to correspond with us, email foremanwolf at wypr.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter as Chef Cindy Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Maybe I'll post a holiday picture one day. Anyway, thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday.